Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us as we make our way through the Gospel of Luke on this Tuesday or whenever it is that you get to it. Um, you know, kind of warn you a little bit ahead of time, some minor bumpy waters today, a little bit of chop in, in today's text. Um, both in what it says and in what people have maybe thought that it says or or done with it. So uh, we're in the fourth verse of the 12th chapter, and I'll go ahead and read a little bit of this, and then we'll, we'll move on. I tell you, friends, do not fear those who kill the body, and after that they can do nothing more. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Not one of them is forgotten in God's sight. But even the hairs of your head are counted. Do not be afraid. You are of more value than many sparrows. So again, um, if you are familiar with other Gospels, you can see here that Luke has kind of condensed some things. This this business about counting the number of hairs on your head and the worth of sparrows is in other Gospels. Luke combines that here with a teaching on the authority and the fear of God, um, which is not just fear. It's also respect and awe, but it is fear. I mean, fear is the base of the word. So the thing that's interesting about this text, Michael, is that it's easy to get distracted in the fear language and not notice that he closes that section do not be afraid. And so this is the poles that Christians live between, right? On one hand, knowing the awesomeness and the fearfulness of God, who not only holds our bodily um, health and wealth and well-being, but our spiritual well-being, who can cast a person to hell, um, who has authority not just while we're alive, but in the afterlife as well. That is a fearsome thing. And yet, that God cares for sparrows and counts the hairs on our head. And do not be afraid. You are of more value than many sparrows. It's, it's easy, I think, to read this with this language of hell and fear and think that that's Luke's point. Ultimately, this is a warning, but I think that warning is secondary to the the confidence at the end, you are of value to God, even though God is to be feared, because God is loving, you need not be afraid. And, and Luke has packed a lot into a few verses, and there's this is a difficult passage, but almost sermon-like, I think, in the way that he delivers us to the conclusion. This is one of those classic examples of a text, Clint, where understanding context and remembering the people who received this letter matters and reading it all as a whole thing matters and not picking out pieces. Because obviously in the introduction part of this text, we shouldn't rush beyond. There is an obvious theme of fear, right? You have in verse four, do not fear those who kill the body, right? Who should you fear? You should fear the one who has the authority to cast into hell, right? But then on the end, verse seven, do not be afraid, 
which is another restatement of fear, you're more value than the sparrow. So where does the text land? Well, as Jesus is speaking to the disciples, which is the context that we're in right now, the idea is there are those who you may fear wrongly when you should rightly fear God because he's the one with the power and the strength. But ultimately, in the ultimate sense, you don't need to be afraid of God in a vindictive way, though he has the power to throw to hell. You don't need to be afraid because your life is more valuable than the sparrow. There's this less than greater than argument that Jesus is making here. So the ultimate outcome of this passage, which has so much thus far dealt with this issue of fear, is moving towards the idea of comfort. It's the idea that you shouldn't be afraid. And so the context of this would make it very easy, Clint, and this has happened historically. We know this. Uh, People have uh, taken a text like this to turn it into a a God is a mighty giant who you should be terrified of all the times in your life. And unfortunately, to the converse, there's also those who use a text like this to say there's nothing awe-inspiring in God. There's nothing that might inspire fear in God, which is also not true. Ultimately, we live in this tension between the fact that God is awesome by the old definition of it and therefore fear invoking. And then on the other hand, by the invitation of Jesus Christ, we don't need to be afraid because of the God who's revealed to us. Right. And I also think, Michael, here that Luke is, is partly saying this is a, a matter of attention and allegiance. And we've seen this before, world and God, flesh and spirit. Don't be afraid of the wrong thing. Be afraid of the creator, the the sustainer of the universe. That is the one worthy of of being afraid of. And yet, you need not be afraid of that one, but don't be afraid of the other ones because of that one. And um, this goes on here as we pick up the rest of the passage. I think that is undergirded by the next words here. Verse 8, I tell you, Everyone who acknowledges me before others, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. But whoever denies me before others will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. When they bring you before the synagogues, the rulers, the authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you at the very hour what you ought to say. So again, right, because we are not afraid of the the powers of the world, because we are not afraid of those who can kill the body but cannot oversee the soul, we are free in in without fear to proclaim Christ. Whoever does this. Christ will also speak for, and who refuses to do it, they will be denied before the angels of God. So our standing ultimately before God is our behavior and our confidence in the Son of Man. It it is a life lived toward proclaiming and living out the gospel. And again, Luke doesn't have, this isn't the gentlest way to get us there, Michael, but, but this is all stuff we see throughout the gospel. I think it's particularly sharpened here. This is a this is delivered with a kind of a bat, but it's nothing we don't see in other places. 
So this is where that context is essential, Clint, because if you come into this and you read this with an eye towards its devotional content today, you're likely going to be drawn to this section in verse 10. This language of blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. This is one of those inflection point kind of text. It, it's really an incendiary kind of text for a lot of people. That's a terrifying thought, this idea. Well, what is a, a sin against the Holy Spirit? What is blaspheming? What is the thing that will not be forgiven? And man, uh, just countless ink has been spilled on this. This question's been asked numerous times. In fact, there's a real possibility that you're joining this video, that you found this video because you searched for something like that. And, and that was the thing that you wanted to engage. And I want to say, by way, I think of both encouragement and maybe there's a little bit of direction in this, that if you put this text in the hands of one of the earliest Christians, if you think that Luke, Luke is recounting this story, this particular teaching of Jesus that begins with the idea of being afraid of someone and Jesus saying, don't be afraid of the one who can kill you, be afraid instead of the one who is the power of heaven and hell, and then to say, and you don't need to be afraid of him. Then Jesus moves into this and says, the only thing that matters is acknowledging me. And by the way, don't even be afraid of what you're going to say if you are taken before synagogues, rulers, authorities. Don't worry what you're going to use to defend yourself because the Holy Spirit will teach you at that hour what you ought to say. Man, that would be incredibly encouraging news. That would be an incredibly encouraging teaching if you were someone who was afraid in your daily life of being caught, of being taken before authorities, and, bef and to be martyred for your faith. And by the way, if you think about the context in which Jesus is writing this, in the story of Luke, this is before Christian persecution. This is before the disciples even knew to be afraid of this yet. This is Jesus prophetically looking ahead and saying words that would later be received by the early church, recounted to us by Luke, and given as an encouragement that in the moment of your trial, in the moment in which your faith will be tested, in the moment you're called to give witness to your faith, that is the moment in which you can trust the Holy Spirit will give you words. And there is a warning. There is a fear in in that moment, renouncing your faith. And this where we get that idea of blaspheming, the one who renounces faith in the moment of temptation or trial, that that moment is a moment of unredeemable sin. And what that means and how we tease that out, that, that could be a whole conversation. But let's not forget the context of what's happening here and what it might have meant to those who received it first. Yeah, this is certainly a warning against what could be called apostasy, in other words, turning back. Uh, the idea that those who are faced with persecution would give up their faith uh, or would denounce their faith, which the early church took to mean they they largely didn't have a genuine faith to begin with. But even if we say that that may have been the case, to blaspheme against the Holy Spirit is to deny the very power which grants God's forgiveness. So you, you Jesus says it here, you could speak against the Son of Man and then be forgiven when you understand that you were wrong. But to blaspheme against the Holy Spirit puts yourself in the condition of um, unwillingness or inability to let the Spirit 
do its work in you. And so um, this is not a thing that I think most people should spend a great deal of time worrying over. Uh, As a young person, I was sure I had done whatever this was and I couldn't somehow be forgiven. I think many Christians have that experience. That's not what this text is about. I do want to point out to your point, Michael, verse 11, when they bring you, the, the text doesn't say if, when they bring you before the synagogues, the scripture assumes that a life of faith in Christ will put us at odds with the world. Now, in our day and time, at least where we, most of us watching this video live, we are not dragged before authorities. That, that's not the context we live in, though it is in other parts of the world. But the gospel still assumes that when we are faithful to Jesus, we are at odds at some level with the world. And those are the moments where we have to choose. Perhaps it's either safety in some cases, or it may just be comfort. And the gospel is always going to push us toward choosing Jesus honoring his name, doing evangelism, which doesn't necessarily mean preaching out loud. It may mean doing the right thing for the right reasons. But this is one of those texts that, again, with pretty um, with pretty challenging language, pushes us to move the next steps of our faith and to stay the course when ultimately that will prove difficult because that's What it means to follow Jesus. Following Jesus is hard. Following Jesus in a broken world is hard. Being faithful in a world that doesn't want faithfulness is hard. And that will bring moments of difficulty. And when it does, stick with Jesus. That's If you're going to summarize this, I think that's what I hear it saying, Michael. It is a very hard good news. Clint. Yeah. The good news is that God is faithful. And in fact, in the moments where we don't feel like we have words of faith, the promise in this text is that it's God inside us who will bring those words. That That's great good news. But the hard nature of the good news is that it calls us to the edge of ourself. The difficulty of faith is that it brings us into a relation with the world that is by definition counter to the world's values. Because at the end of the day, the world is interested in the stuff that flows out of human brokenness. It's interested in self-advancement. It's interested in power. It's interested in consuming all, all of these things, which are just nature's of essentially their their codified human nature within the world around us. When the Christian comes into engagement with that, Jesus wants to make it very clear that as long as we are open to the leading of the Spirit, open to correction, as you were pointing out, Clint, open to God being able to work within us and to instill within us spirits of true contrite hearts of honest repentance, if that is able to happen, then we can trust in what we see in verse 12, that the Holy Spirit will teach us at the very hour of our need what we ought to say. That is supposed to be, going back to the first section of this study, that's supposed to be comforting. That's not supposed to leave you in fear. It's supposed to be good news. Hey, when bad stuff happens, and it will, then you can rest easy knowing that the God who lives in you by the power of the Spirit will not forsake you, but give you the strength, the words 
the resource that you need in that hour to be faithful. And if you're seeking to follow Jesus Christ, you can dispel the anxiety and fear about the so-called unforgivable sin, and you can instead lean into this promise that the one who we should and can fear is ultimately the one we don't need to fear because of his promise to be with us. Yeah, and to that end, Michael, I think maybe we should just leave with a word about this idea of the unpardonable sin. This is, you know, Bible 401. These are confusing words. They're, they're strange passages. They're harsh sayings. And while they should give us pause, I don't think they're intended to give us uncertainty. I don't think they're intended to give us a club to wield up against others or a sign to point at others. If you take the references to things like this in the scripture, there are a couple. There are a few. If you take the references to the unsurpassed grace of Christ, to the living God's mercy, there are hundreds. And so just keep that in context. If if this is troubling language to you, I, I think you have to understand, balanced against the rest of Scripture, it shouldn't be. It, these are harsh words. These are words to be aware of and cognizant of, but these are not words to live under as some kind of threat. The The promise given to us, right? Do not be afraid. You are of more value than many sparrows. If you're going to take one thing that you hold on to from this text, let it be that. Do not be afraid. That, that I think, is the best thing that we can learn. The rest of it is interesting, but it should not be a hindrance to us. Well said, and that's where we will end today's study. Thank you for being with us. Hope this has been meaningful. If you've been encouraged, maybe even you found some peace in the interpretation of this text, certainly give this video a like. That helps other people find it. Subscribe to the channel for more studies here in Luke. We'll see you tomorrow. Thanks.